This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Boston Loose Baseball, episode 81, getting underway. We've got a lot to cover tonight. Installment number two of the week, the Nationals trying to hang in the wild card race as long as they can make things interesting in September. Boston Loose Baseball starts right now. Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. This is Boston Loose Baseball alongside Toby Altizer. I'm Grant Paulson. We are recording this podcast on a Thursday evening after a second straight loss, 6-1 to one at the hands of the Marlins, and for certainly the final game in the Toronto series, and maybe in the Miami game tonight, you could say, just evenings where the Nats, and this has been rare in the second half of the season, weren't really in the ball game very much. You know, they couldn't score, shut out for, I think, the sixth time, at Rogers Center in the series finale, so they lost the series for the first time in six tries. And then tonight against the Marlins, without going into too much of the play-by-play of one game, they lose by five runs, six to one, out hit thirteen to three. Pretty lopsided game with Yohan Adon on the mound, and they got three hits. So the offense has gone cold here over a couple days. It's funny, Grant, because usually you'd say the dog days of summer, and you're talking about July and getting around the the trade deadline, and talking about maybe around the All Star break. And that doesn't necessarily seem like the Nationals hit that wall, but they've hit the wall, it seems like now. Obviously, they've won some games and they've won a bunch of series in a row, but it seems like the last two series, they kind of just seem like they're sleepwalking in some ways, and they just haven't been necessarily the same team over these last two series. Maybe it's just a little lull and they'll get back in the wing column tomorrow, hopefully. It's not like it's a extended bad play, but it just seems like for the Nationals right now that they need to you know, get kind of rewoken up a little bit. Some of the starters haven't necessarily been the best. I mean, not like you're dissecting every Yoana Doan start like we do every Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray start. But, you know, I think it's some good things. And you look at the you look at their standings right now, Grant, and it's crazy when you see that they're 62 and 73. And my preseason prediction was them winning 65 games and losing 97. They'd have to go three and 24 the rest of the way for that to be the case. Like this is a team that's probably going to win 70 games. And I know we talk about this a lot on this podcast, but the fact that they're so far past expectations just continues to give you hope about the future. And whenever they win their next game, assuming they don't lose 27 in a row from here on out, they're going to avoid the hundred loss mark, which so many people had them dialed up getting close to. And they probably won't be all that close to it. So it's really cool to see them now at this point, and they just need to get that next win, and they'll assure themselves they won't have a 100-loss season. Yeah, they had a chance to be within 7.5 with a win tonight going into September in the wild card. I don't bring that up as it pertains to actually making the playoffs, which is not plausible, but I bring that up to say that's pretty amazing. You know, if the the story was different, if they weren't this Nats team that had no expectations and had spent money, if they were the Padres, as an example, who were in the same boat seven and a half games back going into play today, the conversation is, can they gain that ground in the final month? It's going to take a pretty epic month. You're probably going to have to go 22 and eight and have a team falter a little bit and play 500 ball. But it can happen. It has happened before. I don't bring that up to say that that's something that we're doing. The Nats 
uh, are not really a, a playoff team and they're not going to make the playoffs and nobody should be scoreboard watching. But I just bring that up to say seven and a half backs out of uh, games back out of playoff contention with the extra wild card is pretty telling. You know, another way of saying what you're getting at with just how much better they are than expectations. I mean, that, that's absolutely crazy compared to what we were thinking. Um, I wanted to look at the last week, though. You mentioned that they've cooled off dog days of summer kind of deal. I mean, nobody really is hitting right now other than Joey Manessis on this team. So over the last calendar week, seven days, they played seven games. Only Abrams and Manessis played all seven of those games. Most everybody else had six starts. But Abrams is six for 29 over that span this week. Uh, a 207 average and a 433 OPS. Now, he did steal five bases, but he didn't walk once in seven games and almost 30 at-bats, didn't get on base, didn't hit much at all, low OPS this week. was pretty ugly. Uh, elsewhere, you look at Lane Thomas, three for his last 21 at the plate, a 143 average and a 536 OPS over the last week. Jake Alou, five for his last 20, is a 250 average, but just a 568 OPS in that time. Uh, Eldemaro Vargas, five for his last 20, 250, only a 618 OPS. Dominic Smith is two for his last 18 this week. 311 OPS, 111 average. That's gross. Uh, Jacob Young, who got called up, who's been unbelievable defensively. I do want to talk about that in a minute. But three for 16 so far at the plate, has doubled a couple times, has walked a couple times. But you know he's got a 188 average and a sub-600 OPS. Riley Adams, who is hitting 310, has now seen his average crash. Uh, his stretch is actually much worse over a longer period. But just this week, in four appearances, one for his last 13. Alex Call, two for his last 13. Uh, let's see. Drew Millis, only one at bat, didn't have a hit. So you kind of run through the whole. I just went through everyone who's had at bats here. Other than Manessis, who's nine for his last 27, a 333 average, and an 823 OPS. And maybe I'll give a nod to Keyboom, who has two of the three home runs the Nats have hit this week. And by the way, last seven games, only three home runs in the heat of the summer for this team, which is terrible. Uh, that tells you everything you need to know, I would say. Yeah, 100%. And the three home runs, I mean, this is kind of what we saw early in the season where this team really lacked power. It seemed like they kind of found ways to manufacture some runs, but obviously that hasn't necessarily been the case with some of the players cooling off. And, you know, it has been nice to see Keyboom hit the ball much better of late and seeing him back in the majors and looking like a guy that maybe could be something for you in the future. We're going to get a whole September to kind of evaluate that once again. But it is cool to kind of see him back in the majors because at one point he was the Nationals top guy. This was the guy that everyone got excited about. I got to see him play a game in 2019. And then the next day he ended up getting sent down because of some struggles. But, you know, he's a guy that, again, could really help a rebuild if he were to end up being something that they could at least depend on or keep on the major league roster, even if it's just a bench bet. I think that would help them along. So, you know, it's about these young guys throughout the, the last month of the season. And honestly, for me, Grant, I don't know how you feel about this. Obviously, you want to see Abrams and Gore and Gray and all these guys do well in September. But for them, I almost feel like it's just getting through the grind of the season. Obviously, you want to see them healthy. But experiencing the full grind of a 162-game season, I think, is important for these guys. Because when you think about you know, Mackenzie Gore, say next season, this team is contending, or even in two years, this team is contending. You don't want it to be where Mackenzie Gore is going through September in a play, you know, a playoff race for the first time ever. So even if he struggles a little bit going through September here, I don't want to push him. Like if he's, you know, the velocity's down and he looks like he's fatigued. I don't want to push him. I don't want him to get injured, but I'm even not so worried about the results. I just kind of want these guys to understand what the grind is and so I want that for those guys. And then for the other guys, some of the young guys that are getting called up, the Drew Millis, the Jacob Young, those are the guys that I'm really going to look at the results and see if they can produce at the major league level and be a part of something going forward for this ball club. But, you know, it's it's an odd spot to be at because, you know, you got one month left. You're going to get some more guys called up here with September, get two guys added to the roster. So we'll see who that is. But you know, this last month of the season for the Nationals, it seems like it's going to be a little bit of a slog because this has been a long season for these guys, and a lot of these guys are still young. So this is the first time for some people that they're going through this. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point, too, is you know, it's, it's a marathon 162-game season, and there's a bevy of dudes, both hitters and pitchers on this team, 
who are either not used to playing 162, the, the full six months, and or they're certainly not used to doing it against this level of competition. So how they handle it's going to be key, but they'll definitely be better off for it next year. I mean, they're, they're getting really good starting pitching right now. That's the other thing I would say is the reason they're in all these games and the reason they've been so successful here lately. I mean, the stretch is still fourth best team in the NL, sixth best team in baseball since the All-Star break. A lot of it has had to do with starting pitching. You, you look at this last week. I just went through all of their offensive numbers. I mean, that was a week that was part of a, a winning road trip, you know, where they left and they went. If you count the Little League World Series game, which was a quote-unquote home game in Williamsport, you know, four cities before they finally came back to take on the Marlins. But we saw Trevor Williams throw seven innings, two-run ball. Jake Irvin, six innings, one-run ball his last start. Mackenzie Gore, five innings, one-run ball. Uh, Yohan Adone tonight got hit around a little bit, but his previous start before that, six innings of three-hit shutout ball. Um, they've had some really good starts. You know, you had the, the clunker from Corbin yesterday against Toronto, 10 hits, six earnings in five innings. You had the stinker tonight. And I don't even think it was all bad for Adone, but in the end, uh, he gave up five earnings and, and nine hits. and It wasn't good. And Josiah Gray had his shortest, probably one of his worst starts of the year, four walks, four hits, four runs earned in just two innings last time out. And we've talked a lot about him, but they really have to get him going. So, the key, I think, recently for them has been they're getting outstanding starting pitching. Last week and a half, two trips through the rotation or so, you know, has their ERA and some of their numbers as a, a rotation or as good as anybody in baseball. Certainly, if you take out, you know, one or two of the, of the bad starts, it's been you know basically around a two ERA, uh, which is right where they want to be. But I care more, like I have all season long, uh, about how Gray and Gore, and then to a lesser extent you know, Irvin and Adon are pitching than I do if, if Trevor Williams is giving you a good six or seven innings or, yeah. you know, if you're getting something or, or nothing from Corbin, like this is the end of the road as far as I'm concerned with him. He may or may not be in the rotation or the bullpen uh, at the end of next year. I, I'm not as concerned about that. I, I just want to see how does Gore and Gray finish? Where is the finish line for them? You know, do they continue to pitch? With this uh, extra man in the rotation, you know, every six days, essentially, in the six-man rotation, that's kind of what I'm curious about. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point with Corbin and Williams. Essentially, when those guys go out there, it doesn't matter how they do it. You want them to get through seven innings. It doesn't matter if it's good. It doesn't matter if it's bad. You need them to save the bullpen because, you know, Gore goes out there and he had an okay start, I think. Maybe if you want to classify it as good, but only giving you five innings. You need the bullpen for those kind of starts. Obviously, you'd like to see Josiah Gray be a little bit better than his last outing, but you go back to the start at Yankee Stadium, six innings, you'll take that all the time. So, you know, I think it is going about those guys and seeing how they do. And, you know, the encouraging part about all of this, Grant, is Josiah Gray, this is kind of his second time going through this. Irvin, kind of his first time. Gore, kind of his first time. And really, all those guys look strong still. You know, we've seen... Josiah Gray slip up a little bit, but I wouldn't say it's because he's going out there and he's throwing meatballs and he's lost five miles an hour on his fastball and he looks fatigued. Like he still looks strong. Maybe he's lost a little bit of the sharpness with the grind and maybe he's gotten some bad habits or whatever the case may be there. And, you know, Gore, I think he's shown that he can still be effective. You know, all these guys are feeling the grind. There's no doubt about it. Some of the starts are maybe not as sharp as you'd like, but they're all still strong at this point. And so as long as they're doing that, I know some people have talked about maybe you could consider shutting some guys down. In my opinion, I want to see these guys continue to go through that grind so they know what it's like. If something pops up on uh, in a start where they're not pitching well and it's, you know, you can clearly tell that they're fatigued and something's going on, yank them as quickly as possible. But if they look like they've been looking the last month and they're still strong going out there even if the results are bad that's okay i just want to see them get through this last month healthy and so far so good yeah i also think you know you have the option of if you want to calling up one or two players from triple a to make starts uh, in the final month of the season and skipping one of these guys you know they've already expanded the rotation right so uh you're now no longer asking them to pitch every five days so there's going to be you know, the way the math worked out when they did that, maybe one or two fewer starts in the season as it was. But then you add to that, that if, if they wanted to, if they're worried about innings or if they're seeing a little dip, let's say in VLO or um, 
you know, if anybody's complaining about anything, then you just automatically shut them down and don't ask them to do anything else. But if they're healthy and it's just a matter of not wanting them to pile up extra innings, you know, you could call up Willie Peralta and feed him to the wolves for a start. Uh, you could call up, you know, uh, Jose Urania, I think is still in triple A. Maybe I last check. I haven't looked in a while, but, uh, Corey Abbott, who's been up and down and getting knocked around. He's 61 strikeouts and 47 innings. Uh, I'd like to see Jackson Rutledge. I guess that's where we could start. Maybe, you know, make a big league start this year. He got called up to triple A has made 10 starts and, and thrown 50 innings. Uh, hadn't been great by any means, but you know, those are the types of things I think you could probably do if, if it means, you know, you want to skip Gore once, okay, fine. Rutledge throws in his spot or whatever. I think that's an option uh, as they move forward here. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Bang, zoom. Two guys I think we do need to hit on. Um, you referenced Keyboom, so we'll put him on deck. I want to start with Jacob Young. He is showing what I love about this guy and what I talked about on this podcast for the last few months. If you listen, he's kind of been my guy before he was in the, the MLB pipeline top 30. We were talking about him on busting loose baseball. I just love the baseball rat type center fielder. It's speed. It's defense. His Jersey's always dirty. You, you look at the second inning and find Jacob young. He's already got dirt all over. He steals bases. His first hit was a bunt uh, on a span of a few days. He had, an incredible diving catch coming into center field. He had like the, the out of the year at home plate on a throw from center field. And then the next night, while Masson was showing his incredible out on a throw, he made this insane diving catch, like full extension with his arm way out from his body, you know, coming in toward left center. Uh, I just love what he's given them. It's, it's energy. It's a little jolt, little shot in the arm from a 24-year-old who makes contact, puts the ball in play, hasn't hit a ton. You know, that'll be the question kind of long-term power offense. I think he'll hit enough, but you can see that the defense and the speed is, is kind of game changing. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what he's here for, right? He's here for the defense in center field. He's here to steal bags and you just need him to hit at an acceptable clip. And that hasn't been the case so far, but he's shown Doubles that in the last two games. Maybe that signs of life. Maybe. And, and he's shown in the minors, I mean, with enough of a sample size at multiple levels that he can he, he can hit a high average. He's not going to hit for lots of power. You know, he's not going to have a high slug. But as long as he can get on base and steal some bags and play good center field, that's a guy that, you know, if you want a defensive center fielder that can bat ninth for you, that's a guy that you can plug in there. Or if you just need a guy to be that fourth outfielder that you can plug in defensively that's a little sharper in center field or you need someone to steal a bag late in the game. Like, that's what Jacob Young can be. So, you know, he's got a full month here to show that he can hit, and hopefully, you know, those doubles are some signs of life. But I think that's the big thing for him because you've already seen the defense plays. He can obviously steal a lot of bags. It's just can he hit enough to stick with the big league club and be, you know, whether it's a fourth outfielder or – that's you know lead off or not lead off but second lead off guy in the nine hole that can play really good center field for you so a couple more things on on jacob young number one don't you think it's pretty cool with how 
quickly they moved him. He played in the SEC at Florida as a seventh-round pick. So he was tested in a really good conference, as we've talked about with Dylan Cruz. He faced great competition. But it's not like he went 1-7, you know, seventh overall or something. Seventh-round pick. Uh, Jose Ferrer was on the Fred Nats at the start of last year. He's already in the major leagues. I want to say he was the first or second Fred Nat to ever get to the big leagues. Jacob Young was on the Fred Nats last year. He started out in A-plus ball this year in Wilmington. And as you said, then he went A-plus to double-A. He was in triple-A for five days, and then he was in the major leagues. So what an unbelievable journey and ride this has been for him. But I do like the aggressiveness and the urgency they push guys when guys earn it, when guys prove themselves. And we talk about this all the time. They really seem to view double a as the like threshold can you handle yourself in double a and they view it differently than we do they're not looking at box scores for stats they're not saying okay is he hitting 315 or 340 and to jacob young's credit uh last year he scored i think almost 120 runs in the minors it was like in pro baseball aaron judge and then jacob young and then everybody else in runs scored uh he was just on base and stealing bases constantly this year, he got to a point where he had had a 15-game hit streak, I think it was, in double-A when he got promoted to triple-A. He had gotten his average up to close to 310 in double-A. But that's not really what they're looking for. They're looking for quality of at-bat, ability to, to you know work in at-bat, take pitches and hit with two strikes and do all the little execution things that is asked of you. Uh, if your average is low, they may not care if you're putting the ball in play with exit velocities and barrels. And, you know th Their evaluation was, he was ready. The other part of it, not just physically because of some of the things I'm talking about, but mentally, like we'll move up Dylan Cruz to double A and let him play in Harrisburg because even if he gets off to a slow start, i.e. what's happening, he's not going to get down on himself. He's not going to lose confidence. He's not going to start beating himself up. And they obviously felt the same way about Jacob Young as a 24-year-old in the major league. So I just, I just love Rizzo to me has always been pretty aggressive with prospects uh, that especially the high-end guys. Harper, Soto, Strasburg, like these dudes don't spend a lot of time in the minor leagues. And while Young is not a, a blue chipper by any means, I think he's another example of like their, um, maybe their philosophy and, and their willingness to push guys. Yeah, I mean, I like the fact that they're not stuck in the ways where it's like, oh, he's got to go through the lumps at double A when the dude's hitting over 300, you know, like he, he's shown he's he can handle it, you know, and he's the same thing at high A, like the guy was hitting over 300 at all those spots for a guy that's, you know, just needs to get on base and steal some bags. And he was doing all of that playing good center field. And I like the fact that they're aggressive, like you were saying, because at some point, a dude just gets comfortable at that level. And he's not necessarily, you know, you need all the experience you can get, but I like continually pushing guys, especially when they earn it, because you can just see what they've got. And I really like that they go with an aggressive approach. And, you know, he, he's not necessarily in the in the realm of those other guys you were mentioning, Harper and those. But I think it's kind of cool because it gives some encouragement to some of the other prospects. You know, we were talking before the podcast and Darius brought up Yo-Yo Morales and getting hits in high A. He can look at a guy like a Jacob Young that isn't the top prospect in the organization getting moved up. And he realizes, you know what, if I keep producing, I could be in double a soon, maybe not this year, but early next year. And I could be finding my way into the bigs. You know, these guys that are in some of the lower levels see that a guy like a Jacob young, that isn't the most highly touted prospect in the national system, work his way all the way up and through because he was producing at all the levels he stopped at. And he got to the major leagues and it gives them hope that, you know what, they're noticing us, even if we're not in, you know, Harrisburg or we're not in Rochester and we're not a call away from the big, so to speak, they'll still notice that we're playing well and move us through if we keep doing our jobs. Yeah, well said. Uh, who do you think would win a race? This was the second thing I wanted to say about him. C.J. Abrams or Jacob Young? That's a tough one because it seems like C.J. strides when he gets going. It's just tough. But Jacob Young has that burst in center field and that reaction time. I'm going to stick with CJ just because I've seen a little more of CJ, but it would be a very close one. It'd definitely yeah. be a close race. Let's line those two guys up. All right. Now, Carter Keyboom. Uh, I'm not going to overreact it. It's just too small of a sample. And it's not like he's hitting 500 anyway. He's eight for 30, which is good for a, a 267 average. But he does have three home runs, one every 10 at bats. He is, uh, because of that slug, the owner right now of an 890 OPS. But even while things have gone well and everyone's very excited, 
I mean, his his on base right now is 290. Like he's he hasn't really had many hits other than the three home runs. He's got five other hits. He's not drawing walks. So I'm not here to to knock Carter Keboom. It's been a great story, and I'm hoping he can keep this up. Uh, but we're talking about really three at bats over 30 that make us particularly excited. Um, so I kind of go grain of salt with this. You know, we saw him in the big leagues the first time in, in 2019. Then he got to play a decent amount in the pandemic year in 2020, played over 30 games of the 50 or 60, whatever that was. I barely remember. But uh, he hit 128, 202, 207 in three major league trips, mostly with limited opportunity. 2021 was his most extensive play, and he had what was a little more than a third of a season probably. And he hit 207 with a 619 OPS, which wasn't ideal. Uh, having said all of that, uh, it has been a really good story to see him hit for power, homering in his first game. We talked about that already. He has subsequently homered a couple more times, including in game two of the Toronto series when he went two for four with a bomb. And if you look at his last couple of games going one for four with a knock, you know, he is uh, now four for his last 12 at the plate. So kind of trending in the right direction at this point. But overall for Carter Keboom, I just want to see not only good at bats, but you know, he's not going to homer every 10 at bats, obviously, right? That's never really been what he was in the minor leagues. So it's just going to need for me to see ball and play consistently and the contact be loud. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Carter Keboom is we've seen him before, so we kind of know what he is. He's going to basically have to play so well that he can get rid of some of the thought process behind what he's been in the major league. So, you know, we kind of have an idea of what he is. It's nice to see him succeed, but he's going to have to do a whole lot more of this before a lot of fans jump back on board. But again, I mean, this is a nice thing. If he can continue to hit like this, he was hitting well in the minors. If he can do that the rest of the year. And my thing is with all of these prospects, play well enough that you make Rizzo have to make decisions, whether it's keeping him on the big league club next year as a, as a utility guy playing around the infield, or if it's something where, you know, he can be the guy that gets the first call if there's an injury on the infield, all these various things keep playing well and good things happen. And it's a good thing for the organization when all these guys play well. I also like that uh, most of his hits, you know, the three homers are, are poolside home runs, but I believe he's now got four hits opposite way, even with how many hits have been to the poolside, uh, which I just think speaks to, you know, a decent approach for him to this point. Uh, anything else at the major league level you want to cover before we dip down into the minors? Well, so this is kind of where it's interesting. I was talking about this the other day on 106.7 The Fan, and we generally like to stick to the Nationals, but looking across entire major league baseball, the fiasco that's going on with the Angels is something that I think has to give you some that we have to give credit to Mike Rizzo and the Nationals for, because looking at where the Angels were and they were sitting at the trade deadline and you know, I wasn't necessarily as frustrated by the fact that they decided to buy as you were, Grant, because I didn't hate the idea of trying, but obviously that was wrong. And now you're seeing this week they wave Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Gritchick, and Renfro, and Matt Moore, and four of those dudes end up getting way, picked up. have you ever seen anything like that? I've no. never seen that before. No, absolutely not. It just doesn't make any sense because a lot of those guys were acquired and a couple of those guys. So they had to give up, I believe, five of their top 20 prospects in, in a bad system, guys. by the way, like the system was already bottom 10. I mean, I, you know, you could even say maybe in some I don't know what the rankings would say, but I, I think bottom five, perhaps in baseball, like it wasn't good. And they took some of their best guys and gave them up, pushing all their chips in for a lot of the dudes that they just waved. Yeah, and they gave up their number two and three prospects to get Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez, and then they end up waving those guys a month later. And the reason I bring this up on a Nationals podcast is when you look back at this team over the last couple of years, think about the position the Nationals could be in right now if they had done something like the Angels, which if you look back, I know we look back now in 2021 and think, oh, okay, when all the stuff started to go bad and obviously 2020 wasn't what you thought. But in the first half of that season, Grant, in 2021, they were 42 and 47, five games under 500. You would generally think that that's not good, but the Angels could have looked at that and said, you know what, we could give it a whirl. That's kind of what they did. And so the reason I bring this up is they looked at a team that had Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, Juan Soto, Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg, all these guys from the World Series team, and they realized we don't have it. 
We don't have it. We have to move on. We've got to move Scherzer. We've got to move Turner. The next year, we got to move Juan Soto. It's not going to work. And now look at where they're at, as opposed to the Angels looking at it and saying, you know what, let's get one more try at this. The Angels haven't won anything, and they decided to try it one more time, and maybe that's more of an ownership thing than anything. But it's a credit to the Nationals for looking at a World Series roster in 2019, seeing what happened in 2020, seeing what happened through the first half of the year with 2021, and realizing, although we have some of the pieces left, this is not a World Series roster. We might as well not try and give up prospects that, again, the Nationals at that point didn't really have. And now you look at where they're at in 2023, and you have to be encouraged by this team. The fact that we're talking about this team getting close to 500 next year, possibly, and competing for a playoff spot again in 2025, I mean, that's something that if they would have decided to keep all these guys and not acquire Josiah Gray and not acquire Cabert Ruiz and not acquire C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore and James Wood and all those guys, it'd be a totally different spot we're in right now with this Nationals team. And so I know we're talking about the Angels here, but I think the Nationals deserve some credit when you look at it in their perspective where the Nationals were in 21 and kind of compare that to what the Angels did this year. It's actually a super good point. I mean, it's smart because, like, uh, here's the comp I have. I was doing a MLB Network Radio uh, national show this past weekend, and, and it came up. I was talking with Jim Bowden, and we were kind of juxtaposing the two. I'm trying to remember who it was that we were talking to, but they were like, oh, you can't trade Shohei Otani. You know, he's just generational. It was basically the same exact thing I remember people saying about Juan Soto. Mm-hmm. You can't trade Juan Soto. Are you kidding me? That'll get you fired. You can't. Watch me was what Mike Rizzo said. And by the way, the fans despised it. Many of them who are now thrilled with the results, I'm sure, whether they'll admit it or not. Many of them who are excited about Gore and Abrams and Wood and the direction of the team. But it was 100% the right thing to do when he did it. It's not an easy thing to do. Just like the Scherzer-Turner deal was the right thing to do. And by the way, all the players from those deals won't pan out. And it's not to say that it'll definitely end up being wins. It doesn't change the fact that whether James Wood uh, becomes a star that we all think he can be or not, whether Gore and, and Abrams continue to develop into it looks like the good major leaguers that they're going to. If every one of the players they got back falls on their face and they end up having four bad years after this, it doesn't change that it was the right thing to do because Soto was not resigning here and, and you recouped as many assets as possible at a time where you were desperate for them. Uh, It's the opposite to your point of what the Angels did. And I think, I said this back when they traded Soto, I think most GMs would not have traded Soto. I really believe that. That is the kind of deal you make that only lowers your Q rating, that makes fans talk bleep about you, that that will almost always that deal will backfire. You're always going to be, and Mike Rizzo still will be, by the way, when it's all said and done. Like He'll he'll have traded Juan Soto, who's going to be a Hall of Famer. Newsflash, none of the guys they got back are probably going to be Hall of Famers. You know, we talk about Juan Soto, not you and I, but just baseball in general, as if he's having some awful year. Like, look at his numbers. He's a top 10 offensive player in the National League in like these quote unquote down seasons. But it doesn't change that they did the right thing. And to your point, the Angels did the opposite. And it was kind of a cool thing to see. All right, well, let's see how this works. Uh, you know, what? what's the uh, the meme like? Bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see. And they hung on to him. <laughs> let's see how it pays like, off. No, no, exactly. The fourth best team in their own division. Bunch of teams to leapfrog. And they did more, even more than that. They traded prospects and went all in. And it's just a disaster. And I have to imagine everyone's getting blown out at the end of the year. I don't know how they wouldn't at this point. But that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, and, and, and the I'm thing with, you bring that with, up. with Rizzo with that is like, like I said, the Angels haven't won anything. If Rizzo had looked at the 21 team or even a team after that and said, let's hold on to these guys and give it a whirl. Obviously, Scherzer was on the last year of his deal, but maybe they would have tried to hold on to Turner or something like that and maybe do something in free agency. Who knows? But, you know, the way they could have looked at it, they'd won a World Series. They could have said, you know, let's try this one more time with these guys before we let them walk. But ultimately, Rizzo made, I think, the right decisions. And the reason you don't see these kind of decisions made very often is because, Like you said, if it goes south, that costs you your job. And that shows you the kind of general manager that Mike Rizzo is. He understands where he's at in this business, and he understands I can make these sort of moves, not to say that he has his job secure, because I'm sure he understood that if all of these things went horrible, then he could definitely lose his job. But he's not afraid to pull the trigger when it's the right thing to do, and I think that has to give you confidence in 
Mike Rizzo to make the right decisions going forward, assuming that deal gets done at some point. Like, why are we still waiting on that? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Long gone. All right, let's get to the system here because there's some guys I want to call attention to that have been hot. Uh, we could start on the offensive side of the ledger with some of the bats. Over the last, the sample I've chosen here is 10 days, and I pulled up a bunch of the numbers. The best player in the system has been Yoandi Morales, 21-year-old, 13 for 36 at the plate with four doubles and a triple. Uh, the numbers over 10 days, a 361 average, a 993 OPS. Yoandi is now doing this, an A-plus ball at Wilmington. Uh, his season average, so this is at three levels, a couple games at rookie ball, low A Fredericksburg, and then A-plus Wilmington, 376 hitter through 117 at-bats with a 995 ops. And since he got to A-plus ball in nine games, he's hitting 340. He is 12 for his first 35. His OPS is 966. Uh, really, really good to see the number 40 overall pick, the second rounder. Most people thought he was going to be drafted in the middle of the first round. He fell in the draft because of some concerns over swing and miss. And this is kind of the anti-Elijah Green right now, where you know you, you draft a guy with swing and miss who strikes out a lot. You worry that he's going to strike out. And you know are they going to be able to make the swing adjustment? And can get they get the most out of him? They've struggled with guys like this. Well, I'm not necessarily saying from a development standpoint they fixed or tweaked something because they didn't probably have enough time to do that. But they've certainly done a good job with video and, and studying and helping him. The 21-year-old is this past 10 days, 14% walks is a really good rate. 16% strikeouts for his size at 6'4", 225 is awesome. Like so far, it's been a really good return. Very early, but you got to be thrilled with what we're seeing from the man they call Yo-Yo, who was on our podcast a few weeks ago, if you want to go grab the interview. Yeah, and I mean, he's still striking out. There's been 24 strikeouts now across A-ball and A-plus ball, so it's still something that's going to be a part of his game, but that's fine because this is a guy that you would think is going to hit a lot of home runs. He's going to be a plus defender at third base, I think. By that's way, something that he has not homered yet. Yeah, like, and that's kind of crazy because you see the just opposite looking at of what him. I'd expect from him, like the high average and, and all that without a home run. It's crazy. Yeah, three triples, 13 doubles, no homers. And, I mean, <laughs> you got to expect that's going to change pretty soon because if you look at this guy, we've seen him. We saw him at Fredericksburg, and he's just an imposing figure over there at third base. And something that we didn't talk about a whole lot with him because, obviously, when you think Yo-Yo Morales and looked at his draft profile and just Google Yo-Yo Morales, you see him hitting absolute tanks at Miami. It's a guy that I think can play pretty good third base. And so – Obviously, you've now got a couple good third basemen in the system with Brady House and Yo-Yo, and maybe Yo-Yo ends up in a corner or at first base or something of that sort. But it's nice to know that you've got another option at third base as well, a guy that's going to hit for a lot of power at some point, I'd expect. Christian Vaccaro is the second hottest player in the system offensively over the last 10 business days. Uh, 37 plate appearances. He's nine for his last 28 hitting about 320 in that time, a 986 OPS. He walks a ton. It's really good to see because, remember, he had walked, I mean, just so much at uh, the Complex League, and we talked about this on the pod, but I was asking someone uh, who helps make decisions for the Nats. I was like, listen, is, is this because the Complex League, you know, the pitchers just can't throw strikes, or does he have that, you know, acumen to, to just have spit on pitches? And they're like, yeah, maybe a little of both, but – Certainly, the, the number of balls thrown in that league doesn't hurt him. Well, now, not to say that pitchers are all Peyton Picassos in Fredericksburg uh, at the A-ball level in the Carolina League, but eight games and 30 at-bats you know, in the A-ball level, and the walk rate has not dipped. You know, he's got 10 walks compared to seven strikeouts over eight games. Uh, he's getting on base because of those walks at a 450 clip You know, for the year at uh, the FCL and rookie ball, and then Fredericksburg and A-ball, 
His on-base percentage is 420. He's got an 820 OPS despite almost no slug. Uh, he's got just the two home runs. That would be the one thing I'll say in terms of the big picture with him. He did hit a home run this week. It was actually probably a foul ball. If, if anybody saw the call, it kind of went viral <laughs> online. Um, Eric Bach and the Fredericksburg crew are like calling it as a foul ball. It was called fair, and they completely disagreed with the, the ump, but I'm sure Vicaro will take it. It doubled his home run total. That, that would be the one question I have, or, or at least thing moving forward that you need to see is, for people that don't know Vicaro, he's 18 years old. He was the international uh, star last year in baseball. The Nats basically blew their entire budget on him rather than delving it up between a bunch of players. Uh, he came into the system and was expected to be you know, a household prospect pretty quickly. And he played only in the Dominican last year. They didn't bring him over. They kind of helped him because he would have, I think, had to pay a bunch of money in taxes or something. So he came over this year. Uh, he played in the complex league. And as I said, now in Fredericksburg, finally, uh, and he's played 50 games and had 170 at bats. And the, the book has been tons of walks hitting about 280, which is fine, but it's a lot of singles. It's a double here or there, but just very little power. Uh, and I, I want to see the power come on. Sometimes it's the last thing to come, but if you go back, I, I haven't pulled up pipeline. Uh, I could do that, but I'm pretty sure he had 55 and, and 60 grades dropped on him for power. Like the expectation, I, I remember this like it was yesterday because he's a big kid, man. He's 18. I don't know if you've seen him in person yet, but he's 6'3". Uh, now, he hasn't filled that frame out. He's barely over 180 pounds. And, and maybe as the you know as he becomes 6'3", closer to 210, 215, you know, that extra 35 pounds is where the homers will come from. But still, I, I guess my point is I'm just very surprised by the lack of like damage and extra base hits, but that's kind of the end of my, it's so early in his career. He's a teenager and for him to have 18 steals, a 280 average and 800 OPS, like it's, it's all good. It's, it's just time to now start seeing some power. Yeah. To your point, he has a 55 power according to pipeline. So a guy that you'd expect to hit for Above much average. more, much more power than what you've seen so far, but we've talked about this off the air grants. I like the fact that this guy has a good eye. I like the fact that he's disciplined because, you know, it's a lot easier to work with a guy like that. We talked about this with James Wood plenty earlier in the year where I'd rather work with a guy who has some discipline and tell him to swing a little bit more and be a little more aggressive than have a guy that's acting like Javi Baez against bad pitching in, you know, the Dominican League or even in, you know, a ball at Fredericksburg at the complex league. Like I would much rather have a guy that is at least being selective on what he swings at and taking his walks there so that I can continue to hope that he has that kind of an eye as he continues to move up as opposed to a guy that's a free swinger. And maybe, you know, some of those things go hand in hand. Maybe the guy is just looking for pitches to hit and he doesn't get as many to look at or as many to hit. And he's not swinging super hard, trying to hit for an average. And those are things that you can work out. I mean, this is a guy that's still developing looking at pipeline. They don't project. He's going to get to the majors till 2027. So there's plenty of time to work on all of these things. And it's just encouraging to me when you look at a guy down in the minors like that, that has that kind of discipline and that kind of an eye, because I feel like it's easier to develop those kind of guys than guys that are just absolute free swingers. Yeah, and I'll take the under on 2027 at this point with him in Fredericksburg. Again, Jacob Young was in Fredericksburg last year. Now it's different. He's six years older. But uh, I guess what I would say is even if it does take four more years, which I would, again, take the under on, he's 22 when he gets to the major leagues. Like he, He's a he's C.J. Abrams' age. He's a super young major leaguer, and I think that's really important. Last year, while he was leading the league in runs with the Freddies, uh, Jacob Young was – uh, I guess technically like 22 into this age 23 at the end of the year. I mean, you got an 18 year old there right now in Vaquero. And I think that can't be um, mentioned enough. I do want to uh, point out real quick, cause I had referenced it and, and you did as well. Uh, the 2080 scouting scale. Uh, you hear me talk about that. You hear Toby will bring that up occasionally on the show from time to time. So for those of you that are big Nats fans, but might not be super into um, ball as nerdy as we are, or maybe you're just kind of getting into the prospect and minor league and evaluation element of this with the Nats as they're going through this rebuild. Uh, the 2080 scouting scale is kind of a fun way to, to grade uh, tools. And I'm not a scout. I don't pretend to be, so I don't really give my own grades. Uh, but this is done by talent evaluators and 
you know, the publications that rank prospects will use these as well. But the way it works is um, it, it's like, you know, back when you and your buddies were hanging out at a sleepover when you were a kid, you know, and you were rating girls one to 10 or ladies <laughs> listening to the pod. I know rating boys one to 10, what have you. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be inappropriate here. Um, so it, it would be the equivalent of like uh 2080 scouting scale. 50 is average. And then you can either go up or down. Generally, you only use increments of five. A lot of people will actually use 10. So it's like 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. But uh, the grades work as basically 20 to 30 is well below average. So 20 is just non-existent. If a guy has 20 power, he's not going to hit home runs. You know, it's four or five homers in a season. Like Juan Pierre, who would steal 45 bases and hit three home runs in a year, has 20 power, right? 30 is well below average. 40 is below average. 50 is average. 60 is above average. 70 to 80 is generally elite, right? 70 is awesome, outstanding, like all-star, uh, you know, superstar caliber. 80 is just Hall of Fame grade, as good as it gets. There's nothing better. So as an example, Trey Turner would be an 80 runner. Um, using Nats comps, you know, Bryce Harper, when he was drafted, was viewed as having had uh, 80 power. Juan Soto, not that this is a tool, but like as an 80 eye at the plate. I am an 80-grade wing eater. Uh, Toby <laughs> is an 80-grade jersey purchaser. Okay, so it, do it doesn't get any better than the 80-grade. It doesn't get any worse than the 20-grade. Um, 50 being average. So if you're saying someone's a tick below, they're a 45. If they're below average, that's a 40. If it's really bad, they're a 30. And if they just have none, that's a 20. So just an explanation of the 2080 uh, scouting scale. Toby also an 80-grade uh, flexibility guy in his schedule. I don't think he's ever like me and Darius are trying to always figure out when we're going to do this pot around. Toby's always like, oh, I'm good whenever. Just let me know. His flexibility is an 80. Yeah. I'm going to give you that. 80 grade flexibility just means that I have no life grants. That's kind of what it means. No, I think you, you take your craft seriously. Uh, and, uh, you're a mensch. You're a good man. Now, do you have 80 grade flexibility physically as a gymnast? No, would? I have 20 grade flexibility <laughs> when it comes to actual physical flexibility. You and me both. I'm, it's amazing. I, I was the other day I had to like bend down for something and I'm really fat and gross, but I was like, Oh my God, when did I become like, it's one thing to be not flexible, but whatever that was, I was like, this is even, like, even terrible. when I even when I thought I was in shape in high school, Grant, like, you know, you do those like tests where you put the yardstick and like you try to reach out as far. I could like barely reach my toes if that. So even when I was sitting reach. Yeah. Even when I was in shape, so to speak, and didn't weigh way more than I should. And, you know, whatever. But it, like even back then when I was playing sports and everything, I still wasn't flexible. So producer Darris is an 80 grade Madden commissioner. Yes. See, he's got an 80 grade as well. Although if you beat him, then he kicks you out of his league. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> I'm glad you said Madden commissioner, not Madden player, because I'm definitely not an 80 grade Madden player. No, uh, I'll slap. A, I mean, you you commission a league, you do okay in it, so you're you're better than a 50. You got to say 65, sure. right? 65 ish. I was gonna slap a 60 yeah. on him above yeah, average. I'll, I'll take a 60. I, I, I like think 60 that. fits. I like that. Appropriate. There was a time in my life where I would have given myself a, a 55 or a 60. I haven't played Madden in so many years that I think I'll give myself a probably a 40 grade at this point. I'm uh I would probably say I'm a uh, 55 because I'll get rolling and then all of a sudden I'll throw five picks in a row. So it's uh What about the show? You play the show all the time. It depends. I'm probably a uh, a 60 grade pitcher and then like a 30 grade hitter. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so I can pitch you some you know, I'm pretty elite pitching. I'm terrible at hitting. Last thing, uh, last thing, Grant, before we get out of here. Well, I wanted to mention things. a couple more minor leaguers. Okay, go but, ahead. Um, yeah, so save yours. Make sure you jot it down so you remember. Yeah, I, uh, you. I just – two other guys I wanted to call attention to. Uh, Andrew Pinckney, uh, the fourth-round pick who you were really high on when we went and saw him and the rest of the draft picks in Fredericksburg. He's also an A-plus ball. He got moved up with Morales. He had an 856 OPS and a 350 average this week. Walked about 20% of the time. For his now first 111 pro at bat since being drafted in round four, that's a couple games complex. A ball Fredericksburg, A plus ball Wilmington. He's hitting 333 with a 912 ops. Not too shabby for the Alabama product. 22 year old. 
This is not like, you know, Morales, it's one thing, but at least he was a first-round caliber talent they got at 40 overall. You know, Pinckney was taken at 102, man. So this is a completely different beast here, and I'm just – I'm so excited with the athleticism that he's shown and the results to this point because you, you can dream a little bit that maybe they really fi fixed uh, – fixed is the wrong word. Maybe they really found something and 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 ended the drought of all the years of, of not stumbling into something. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because it's way too early, but it's been a while since they drafted someone in the fourth round who's been off to this kind of start. Yeah, I mean, I like the way that they went about this draft class where they drafted, you know, in the first four rounds, three college guys. And so you're seeing maybe they have a little bit of a cap ceiling aside from a guy like a Dylan Cruz. Maybe they don't have the ceiling that you would like to have with some of the high schoolers that maybe were available. But at the same point, these are guys that should be able to come in and produce right away. And Pinkney's been able to do that. And sometimes you just need those sort of guys in the system where if called upon, they can step in in a pinch. Maybe they're not going to be a star down the road, but they could definitely be a helpful big leaguer down the road. So I like the way that they went about this year's draft. You mentioned Dylan Cruz, so I will just point out uh, it has been a slow go to start double A for him. Uh, there's no reason at all to be concerned, but he is three for his first 25 in the Eastern League at double A, uh, and that involves a hit pretty quickly. So uh, since then, just the two knocks. So it's a 120 average. Did get hit in the head with a breaking ball in the back of the helmet the other night. Good news, though. He was back in the lineup, went 0 for 4 uh, with one strikeout this yeah, evening. So Good news. That thing looked like an EFIS pitch. That thing was so slow. It's true. Thank God. <laughs> it was not, you know, some 94-mile-an-hour fastball or something. That could have been really, really bad. And then the last guy I wanted to mention is Mitchell Parker. Uh, every time I bring up that double A prospects to anybody with the Nats that helps run their system or whatever, they always say, and the pitching there is really good. And they reference DJ hers, or they just got in the Candelario deal. Who's been very, very solid since coming over. Um, and the other guy there, that's, that's a pretty interesting prospect is Mitchell Parker. Parker threw again tonight, five innings, two hits unearned run. So no Ernie's with five strikeouts. Uh, but if you look at his recent starts, Five innings, zero earned runs tonight. Eight innings, one earned run before that. Five innings, four earned runs in the middle of the month against Richmond. But before that, five shutouts, six innings, three runs, four innings, two runs, five innings, two runs. His big issue has kind of always been, he's a lot like DJ Hurst, to be honest with you. He's a left-handed pitcher. He's 23 years old. He was drafted out of the same junior college in Texas as uh, Jackson Rutledge, who was a fifth-round pick back in 2020 in the pandemic draft in the final round of that five round draft. I'm, I'm in on Mitchell Parker. I've, I've really been intrigued by him since 2022 early in the year, but last year he had a two eight ERA, hundred innings and 117 strikeouts and a two eight average against like really dominant numbers this year. It's not as pretty ERA is over four, but he's got 130 K's and 108 innings. And again, it's two thirty six average against like, this is a legitimate prospect profile, like a very, very um, good chance. This guy could become a helpful major league pitcher. The concern is walks. He walked 67 batters in 100 innings last year, which is just not okay. Uh, this this season, it's 54 walks in 108 innings. So the walks have gone down a little bit, but still way too high in terms of walk rate to probably be a consistent major league starter. But I say all this, Toby, to tell you the walk rate recently, just like hers, has come down some. And I know that they're feeling pretty good about his progress I would love to see him start a game at the major league level before the end of the year. I, if I had to guess, I would say he might get one or, you know, an outing or two and hopefully a start, but I, he's 23. As I said, like he's in double a, he's been there for the season. I think there's a chance we see him in the majors before the end of the year. And I would love that. Yeah. I mean, I love the fact that he's pitching so well at double a, I love the fact that DJ hers continues to pitch. Well, like you said, it's a couple of crafty lefties. So it seems like every single guy we talk about in the Nats system struggles with walks, but if they can limit that, they're pretty effective. It seems team. like everybody, it seems like every single pitcher we talk about in the Nats system is if they can cut down on walks, they could probably be pretty effective, but it's, I mean, you know, hopefully he can and be something that uh, helps out this organization going forward, whether it's a starter or something out of the pen. Yeah, he did walk four in those five innings tonight, but, you know, had been showing some progress. But hers, I mean, dude, li listen to hers recently. Four and two-thirds shutout, five shutout, four shutout, five innings, two runs. 
Like in August, he's pitched five times, 21 innings, an ERA of two and a half with 31 strikeouts. Uh, and that's with a stinker on August 5th. Um, and it, you know, is I think it was his first start with the team, but his last four starts, his ERA is like one and change basically. And he's just not giving up any hits. I mean, it, it, he's given up two hits in his last 10 innings. Uh, it's, it's been really, really cool to see overall, uh, five hits in his last 18 innings. Like that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's a guy that he's not super highly touted on the prospect list. He's all the way down at 26. but Because of the walks. I think it's because they think he's going to be a reliever. Same with Mitchell Parker. Yeah, and that's the thing. I really like some of these guys where, you know, oh, and I just like the fact that some of these lower-ranked prospects are doing a lot better than what people were thinking, so that's really cool. The last thing that I wanted to hit on is uh, we have a – idea of who's going to be some of the September call-ups. Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post is saying that Travis Blankenhorn is going to get the call-up as the Nats extra position player played well in August. What are your thoughts on Blankenhorn getting the call to the bigs? So he is the number two guy in the entire system in home runs uh, this season behind James Wood. Blankenhorn's been in AAA circuit to circuit. Not a prospect uh, really at all. He's 27. Uh, but 23 homers, one down from uh, Wood on the season, drove in 75 runs, hitting about 260 and 400 at-bats at Rochester. He actually has uh, major league time, service time in his career. Uh, if you go back to 2020, the pandemic year, he made his debut for Minnesota. The following year, he played in 24 games with the Twins and the Mets, and then last year he actually played just one game with New York. So the majority of his time was in 2021. Hasn't really gotten much of a true major league chance, but um, I wouldn't think they'll make him a priority or give him a whole lot of looks. You know, maybe he gets the occasional spot start on a weekend or something uh, as an outfielder. But to me, I, you know, those at bats, Jacob Young needs to play, develop him. Uh, Jake Alou is still more important in the pecking order, but that's, that's cool for this kid. I mean, a guy, I should say he's worked really, really, really hard, right? Third round pick 80th overall eight years ago. And you're still grinding in AAA at this point now at 27 years old, that many years later. So congratulations to him, to the family. Uh, he'll get another shot after limited experience with the twins and the Mets. Yeah, and they needed another outfielder. I guess the only question off of this, because this is a guy, like you said, that isn't a prospect. Is there someone that maybe you would have preferred to see called up? Because, you know, if you look at the top of the system, I don't think that it was realistic to ever consider Cruz or Wood or Brady House or any of those kinds of guys. So maybe someone like a, a Darren Baker, maybe you could have considered, but I think they kind of wanted an extra outfielder as opposed to a guy that primarily plays on the infield. I don't necessarily have an issue with it because calling up a guy like a Drew Millis to be the third catcher and hopefully he gets a little bit more playing time down the stretch here, that can kind of be your prospect, even though he was called up a little bit before September. That can be your September call-up, so to speak, but they needed some outfield depth, so I don't necessarily have an issue with it. Yeah, the only name that came to mind for me over the last several weeks that I was thinking of was maybe uh, Baker, who has played some outfield now and obviously, as you said, is traditionally an infielder. But I'd rather, you know, Darren Baker, frankly, just keep playing baseball. You know, it's one thing when the minor league season ends and now you're either not playing at all or you're getting to play once a week or so and just live in the big league lifestyle. Uh, he's not like a, a kid. He's 24 years old. But, you know, still, I, I think there's something to be had for him in a year where he's hitting about 290 OPS about league average. Like, let him keep playing. I mean, if, if you call up Blankenhorn and he sits around 80% of the time, uh, I, I don't think that's a, a bad thing. But I'd rather the guys that mean something to you moving forward you know, get chances to keep playing. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I, you just continue to get Darren Baker more at bats. And, I mean, you've got plenty of guys to watch in the big leagues right now with Jake Alou. Obviously, you still got the... Jacob Young, you got the guys that have already been here. I mentioned Drew Millis. You obviously still got CJ and Kavert. So there's plenty of guys, and they're not going to take at-bats away from those sort of guys to make sure they can fit some other prospect that they might have called up into the lineup. So I think it makes sense to give Blankenhorn a shot, and we'll see. You know, I'm sure another pitcher is going to be on the way here. We'll find that out You know, in the next day or so. So I'm just excited to see what they can do for this last month of the season. 27 more games. 
You know, when we talked about at the beginning, you got these guys with a six-man rotation, each of them making about four more starts the rest of the way. So see what they can do on that as they grind through this last month of the season. But a lot to evaluate this last month because you got the guys that are all the, the, the stalwarts that we've watched all year long, and you've got some of the young guys coming up to keep an eye on. That'll do it for Boston Loose Baseball, our second of a couple episodes this week. We'll be back at it with a new ep that we'll tape on Monday night. Should drop a late Monday evening or into Tuesday morning into your feeds. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Leave a comment for us. We'll check the comment inbox and give shout-outs to anybody who says something nice the next time we do a pod. But again, please spread the word. That is the whole point. We're trying to grow this thing and make sure we get to keep doing it for a while. So if you got a buddy who's a Nats fan, please let them know to put this in their audio rotation. Thanks a ton. We'll be back at it next week.